As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Reading God's word. Good morning. I can't tell you how much it warms my heart to see that Tony writes his notes on a yellow legal pad. (laughs) You know, they only work if they're yellow. (laughs) But I hope you felt the emotion and the compassion in his voice, and that ties into the message today, uh, because I believe that all of us, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, should feel a calling and a sense of compassion for whatever it is that God has laid on our hearts. And that's a lot of what Peter is talking about in this passage. In this passage, we see that God regards all of his chosen people, his church, as both a spiritual house, meaning a temple, and also a priesthood, which he calls both a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. Let me speak briefly to the first idea, and then I want to speak primarily to the second idea. What Peter is doing here is using the analogy of a freestone standing building to describe the relationship of each believer one to another. This is in many ways like the more familiar analogy that the Apostle Paul uses when he says that we are like a body. One is like a hand, one is like a foot, etc., Also, the um, abilities which we are given is what defines what we are within the body. This is a very important idea to grasp. In the building analogy which Peter uses, the idea is essentially the same as the body. Now, when I was young, I had the opportunity to climb the Washington Monument. There are probably others here who did as well. My understanding is that hasn't been allowed for many years because somebody had a heart attack, so naturally they wouldn't let anyone do it anymore. But I remember clearly uh, that you could see from the inside of the structure the incredible skill of the masons as they formed each stone to fit in its particular purpose. Now, the Washington Monument is the largest freestone standing structure or the tallest freestone standing structure in the world. By freestone, I mean that there is no steel and there is no mortar. It is literally one stone resting upon another. I imagine that the great cathedrals of Europe are the same way. Castles that have been built are the same. But most importantly, the temple in Jerusalem, which was still standing when Peter wrote this, was a freestone standing structure as well. So that's the first idea of Peter here. We should think of ourselves as these very specially prepared interlocking stones, no two of which are alike, and each of which has a very specific and essential purpose in the entire structure. The masons had to take a block of stone and chisel it very carefully until it was exactly right for its intended purpose. 
This is what God does with us. Now, I don't suppose it's particularly fun to be chiseled in this way, but that's part of the point. When I was young also, Michelangelo's masterpiece, the Pietà, was brought to Washington and put on display, and I was able to see it. It's a statue of Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the crucified body of Christ in her arms. Now, there's no scriptural basis for that, but it's a beautiful statue. Unfortunately, some deranged person has damaged it since then, but I saw it before that happened. I cannot comprehend the skill of the sculptor in taking a block of marble chiseling it away in just the right way to come up with such a beautiful and perfect piece of art. This also, I think, is part of the idea that Peter has in mind. Now, Jesus used a different analogy to make a similar point. We read in John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, that Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Now, I'm not much of a gardener, but I have visited vineyards. And it's remarkable how much excess growth must be removed so that the remaining parts of the vine may put all of its energy into producing the fruit. My father was an avid gardener. He was president of the National Chrysanthemum Society. He used to uh, take it very seriously, enter flower shows, uh, earn all kinds of dramatic uh, awards for his flowers. But he showed me what you have to do. You, you know how you buy a chrysanthemum plant, there's usually a large number of very small flowers on it. But the people who are trying to produce the large blooms have to disbud the plant. That means you literally break off the majority of the buds so that there's only perhaps three buds remaining. And what that means is that all of the energy of the plant goes into producing the three remaining blooms, and you get great, big, beautiful blooms instead of the little small ones that you're more familiar with. Now, producing fruit or being fruitful is repeated many times in the New Testament. Jesus says many times that he wants us to be fruitful and that he will do whatever pruning is required in order to make us fruitful. Being fruitful, I think, is connected to this idea of being a specially prepared stone in the spiritual temple. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but much of that new growth which each of us likes so much may have to be cut away in order to produce the fruit. Only the father, the vine dresser, really knows what has to go and what may stay. But all of us must expect this cutting to be happening in our lives. And if we don't recognize that and trust the vine dresser, then we'll rebel when the cutting happens. So I ask, are you being chiseled? Are you being pruned? Are you being disbudded? It is to make you something beautiful. It is to make you something useful in God's temple. The Bible teaches consistently that every one of us is essential and must be doing what God has made each of us uniquely gifted to do. We should be looking to God always to reveal to each of us what he is forming us for and what he is calling us to do. What is the fruit he wants to produce in you? Where do you fit in God's temple? That being said, It's really the second point which Peter discusses in the passage that I want to talk about. But the two ideas are closely related. 
It's this idea that we, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, constitute a priesthood and that it is the function we are intended for to offer what Peter calls spiritual sacrifices. Well, first of all, what is a priesthood? I don't want to oversimplify a complex subject, but essentially in the period of the Mosaic law, God first called Aaron and his sons and then the tribe of Levites to serve as priests for all of the other Israelites. And the function of the priests, as I understand it, were essentially two things. First, it was only they who could offer sacrifices to God. People brought the sacrifices, but only the priests were worthy or purified or holy enough to make the actual sacrifices. Secondly, the priests were intermediaries between sinful people and a holy God. People could not go to God directly. They had to go through the priests. Now, we believe, as part of the evangelical Protestant or Reformed tradition, that the role of actual priests has been abolished, among many other things. When Christ made himself the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. You see, the primary purpose of sacrifices in the Old Testament and again, I don't want to oversimplify, was to make atonement for sin. That is, a blood sacrifice involving the death of an animal, the best and most spotless animal, was acceptable to God to pay the price for the sins of the people. All of this was what theologians call a type or a picture of the ultimate blood sacrifice made by Christ himself. So the entire Mosaic sacrificial system was abolished by Christ whom the author of Hebrews tells us is our high priest, and we no longer need any other. <coughs> Excuse me. We no longer need an intermediary, but through Christ we have direct access to God the Father. This was the point of the curtain in the temple which separated the holy place from the most holy place being torn at the moment that Jesus died. And we no longer need atonement by any kind of religious ritual to make us acceptable to God. Christ already did that for us. You see that Peter tells us, do I still, am I still being heard? Okay, something would seem to happen. And we see that Peter tells us that each and every one of us together constitute a new kind of priesthood. What did he mean by that? Well, I think he means several things by it, not the least of which is that we're called to reach out to the unsaved and to bring them to God. But let's focus on the point which Peter makes here. He says that we are a priesthood for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Wait a minute, you may say. I thought no more sacrifices were necessary because Jesus died for us. Well, no more sacrifices for the purpose of atonement are necessary. That is done. But there are other types of sacrifices which do not involve atonement. And this is what Peter is telling us in this passage. Peter said we are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are spiritual sacrifices? There are, in fact, many passages throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament which speak of spiritual sacrifices, and I will list a few of them. But first, let us understand that offering spiritual sacrifices is part of worship. When we come together, we usually worship God through singing songs of praise to him. We also pray together. Those are important parts of worship, but they are not all that worship is. 
the very way in which we live can be and should be a form of worship. Offering spiritual sacrifices to God is another form of worship, one which we should all make a part of our lives. And note that Peter says that these sacrifices are offered through Jesus Christ. That is, they are not done in our own strength or even by our own choosing. They are revealed to us by Jesus himself so that the closer we are to Jesus, the more clear it will always be what he is desiring for us to do. And he will call us to make different sacrifices at different times. It is always a matter of listening to his voice and to his word and asking, what would you have me to do, Lord? The word sacrifice itself tells us a great deal about this. It means to give something up by a conscious choice. The Greek word in the New Testament translated sacrifice may also be translated offering. To make a spiritual sacrifice is to make an offering to God as part of worship. To make a spiritual sacrifice, and here I don't mean some temporary thing like people do at Lent, I'm not criticizing that, but I think the idea here is so much, very much larger than that. If we choose to follow God faithfully, it will involve sacrifices, many sacrifices of many things. Some may be very big, some may be very small. Some may be painful, but most are not. In fact, most spiritual sacrifices bring joy because they're a replacement of that which is truly valuable instead of that which is merely a passing thing or a fantasy or an illusion. Here are a few of them. First, Peter gives us one in the passage read today. He calls it proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think it's very interesting and important that Peter does not say that we should go out and argue people into the kingdom. No, he says we should proclaim the excellencies of God whenever we can. That, I suggest, is the best type of witnessing, along with our personal testimonies about how we have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's a sacrifice because it involves a choice of what we are going to talk about, what we are going to use our voices to do. If we proclaim the excellencies of God, then we're not going on about lesser things, as I suspect all of us, and certainly me, tend to do. Well, what are the excellencies of God? Too many to list here. But some are that he is holy, he is good, he is light, he is truth, he is love, he is faithful, he is long-suffering, he is almighty, all-knowing, ever-present, You see, there's so much here to proclaim. Another type of spiritual sacrifice is obedience. Obedience to the truth. Obedience to the word of God. It's a sacrifice because whenever we choose to obey, we are choosing not to do things which by nature we may want to do. We are also choosing to put aside everything which the world is always telling us and to listen to God instead. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, We read, to obey is better than sacrifice. Or to put it differently, obedience to God is better than any type of ritual religious observance. Another type of spiritual sacrifice is humility, godly sorrow, and repentance. David, in his great psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, verse 17, says, the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
This is a sacrifice because it is putting aside all forms of human pride and justification for our actions and our thoughts. It is accepting God's diagnosis that the problem is sin and that we are all sinners and struggling against sin. If we understand that, then humility, godly sorrow, and repentance should be a spiritual sacrifice which we offer to God daily. And faith itself is a spiritual sacrifice. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 29, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. How very interesting to call faith work. This implies that it's not easy. The world is always giving us reasons why we should not believe. We cannot listen to it. We have to put those voices aside. And therefore, it is a kind of spiritual sacrifice. We work to believe because faith is the door to the manifold blessings of God. The prophet Hosea records the Lord saying to him in chapter 6, verse 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So, steadfast love for God and his children and seeking a deeper knowledge of him are spiritual sacrifices and are far more important than any sacrifice under the Mosaic system. Steadfast love is a sacrifice because it means putting the glory of God and the needs of others before our own. Seeking a deeper knowledge of God is a spiritual sacrifice because it means not letting our minds be filled with essentially worthless things which surround us in books, TV, movies, Internet, social media, etc., etc. And instead of setting aside the time to study God's word and let it be what fills our minds and what defines who we are. In Psalm 50, verse 23, Asaph quotes the Lord as saying, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Thanksgiving should be a larger part of our worship than it often is. It should, I think, be greater than the number of our supplications. When we thank God, we are thinking of the wondrous things he has revealed and done. It's a sacrifice because it takes our minds and our emotions off of our natural tendency to think of our pains, our sorrows, and our disappointments before we think of who God is, what God has done, and what he is doing. David writes in Psalm 4, verse 5, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So, trusting God is a spiritual sacrifice, because it is choosing not to trust in our own abilities or what we think we can get from others. It is putting all of our eggs in one basket, so to speak. We trust in God, in God we trust. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So, in the eyes of God, it is far more important that we show mercy to others than that we perform some religious ritual. Jesus calls us to appreciate the vast extent of God's mercy to us and to reflect that mercy in how we treat others. It is a spiritual sacrifice because, again, it is putting others before ourselves, and it is giving up all of our natural tendencies towards resentment, judgment, or revenge. In Romans 12.1, the Apostle Paul says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, giving control of our bodies to God to keep them pure, as God defines pure, is a spiritual sacrifice. 
an act of spiritual worship. It is giving over control of all those strong desires to do anything other than what God has directed with our own bodies. And I think it is also a call to keep ourselves healthy as far as it depends upon us so that we might serve our master better. Paul also wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So a conscious effort to imitate the character of God as demonstrated for us in the person of Jesus, especially with respect to love, is a spiritual sacrifice. It is a sacrifice because it means we are not imitating anything or anyone else. All of those false images and fantasies which are always flashed at us in every form of media. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul also refers to the financial gifts which he had received and uses the same words for them, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Whenever, as stewards of God's resources, we contribute them wisely to any work of God, be it the local church or missionaries in faraway lands or simply helping a person in need, We are worshiping God by doing so. It is a sacrifice because it is using God's resources for his purposes and not for our own personal pleasure or enjoyment, although I do not mean to say that there's not a place for enjoying God's gifts to us. There certainly is. And in a similar way, the author of Hebrews says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, simply meeting the needs of those around us by sharing the resources he has given to us is a form of worship, especially for those within the church. Again, whenever we see our financial resources as God's resources, then what we do with them should be very different than if we thought they were ours to do whatever we want with. There is a paraphrase of a verse from James which says, Whenever you see a person in need... If you have the means of meeting that need, but do not do so, that is a real sin. So there are a few of the many forms of spiritual sacrifices and acts of worship which we should thinking about and incorporating into our lives. I'm sure there are many more. So let's take seriously who God has created each one of us to be, a living stone in the great temple of God, contributing to the body of Christ what only each one of us was created and gifted to contribute. And let us live lives of worship. In our worship as holy and royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God, a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to God. We do this because of who he is. Let me close with a stanza from a 17th century poem by someone you have probably never heard of an Englishman named Giles Fletcher the Younger. This is about Jesus. He is a path, if any be misled. He is a robe, if any naked be. If any chance to hunger, he is bread. If any be a bondman, he is free. If any be but weak, how strong is he? To dead men life he is, to sick men health, 
to blind men's sight and to the needy wealth, a pleasure without loss, a treasure without stealth. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to the words that we have heard here from your great apostle Peter, and to think seriously about what you are creating each one of us to be in this great spiritual temple as living stones, each leaning upon each other, each depending upon each other. Let us think of the particular gifts and abilities you've given to us and hear the voice of your Spirit as you tell us how we should be using those abilities. And Lord, we know that as you form us to be just the right shape to fit perfectly into that structure, to become a beautiful statue in some way, Lord God, it's going to involve chiseling and pruning and things of this nature. May we trust you. May we open our hearts. May we accept what you choose to do in our lives, that may we may be what you create us to be, that we may serve you as you call us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.